Pushkin. Where do you see your career in 10 years? What are you doing now to help you get there? The sooner you start enhancing your skills, the sooner you'll be ready. That's why AARP has reskilling courses in a variety of categories like marketing and management to help your income live as long as you do. That's right. AARP has a bevy of free skill-building courses for you to choose from because the steps you choose to take today will help you love what you do in the future. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Learn more at aarp.org skills. The most innovative companies are going further with T-Mobile for Business. The PGA of America is helping lower scores and elevate fan experiences with AI coaching tools and 5G-connected cameras. AAA is getting more drivers back on the road fast with location telematics. And the Las Vegas Grand Prix is powering race day operations with 5G connectivity, giving fans an experience at the speed they deserve. This is accelerating innovation with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at tmobile.com slash now. Upswell Marketing would like to remind you that when customers choose your small business, they're really choosing you. So focus on super serving your existing customers and let Upswell handle the pipeline generation of new leads and customers. Upswell specializes in developing customized direct response campaigns and is now offering a no obligation free assessment of your current marketing strategies. Not to mention new customers also receive 15% off their first order when they mention that they heard about Upswell on this podcast. For more information, visit upswellmarketing.com. That's Upswell marketing.com. In 2008, Casper Capetti got a call from an old friend, a former triathlete who had made a prototype for a new kind of running shoe. Um, he called me and said, hey, Casper, I, I co-invented this running um, uh, technology. Can you help me bring it to market? And I said, absolutely not. Are you crazy? <laughs> Are you out of your mind? Um, you will not stand a chance against the ASICs and Nikes of this world. Casper had a PhD in economics. He was working as a consultant at McKinsey, which is to say he knew how to evaluate his friend's business idea. I mean, it was probably just the most stupid idea that I ever heard. <laughs> you know, the, literally the, the, the market is littered with um, running shoe companies that didn't make it. Casper was impressed by the shoe that his friend had invented. It looked different than other shoes, had these like padded cylinders running across the sole. And the runners who tried it really seemed to like it. But come on. A new running shoe company, really? From like first having the the thought of hey, could we turn this into a company? Uh, until actually starting it, it took us more than two years, and it was okay. an up and down, basically um, mustering up the courage, then kind of like oh no, uh, let's let's go back into our golden cage and comfort zone, and then ah, oh, had this feeling of oh no, I should, we should have tried it until we finally jumped. You know, you have to take the plunge at some point, and I'm glad we did. The company they started was called On, O-N. It went public last year, and it's now worth around $7 billion. I'm Jacob Goldstein, and this is What's Your Problem? My guest today is Casper Capetti, co-founder of On. Casper's problem is this. How can you sell tens of millions of shoes a year, and then take them all back and turn them into new shoes? We'll get to that problem later in the show. But first, I wanted to talk to Casper about that first problem, how you start a running shoe company to compete against these multinational giants that seem to have the market locked up. One of Casper and his co-founder's first decisions was this. They'd compete by making their shoes more expensive than almost 
everything else on the market. So look, when you're based in Switzerland and you're you're founding a company uh, with an innovation, basically the only strategy that's available to you is a premium strategy. <laughs> like that sounds fancy, Sw- Switzerland plus innovation. Well, that sounds expensive to me. You know, we have one of the the you know the, we have the highest tellers in the world, a very high cost base, and it's innovation driven. Um, and we looked at the marketplace, and then we saw that. About thirty uh, percent of the volume and about half of the revenue is generated by runners that really care about their equipment, and they're willing oh. to spend thirty, forty, fifty bucks more to stay away from injury. Um, huh. And that's that's the market we went after. So you decide you're going to go after the runners. You have another choice to make, right? This is 2010 when you launched, I believe. Is that right? Um, that's correct. Yeah. So that's a moment when lots of companies are starting to sell straight to consumers, to not go through retail stores like clothing brands traditionally have, but rather just sell on the internet, right? Which does seem more efficient, but you don't do that. Not only are you are you selling your shoes more expensively, you're not going to, when you launch, you don't really say, okay, let's take advantage of this new direct-to-consumer channel, right? Why? We, of course, asked that, that same question at the time. What we what we felt, and I think it was validated later on, was um, to really break through with runners. You need the validation of the technology, and and there's two ways of validating. You can either work with athletes and win a ton of races, and or you can be with uh, the run specialty stores. So you know the run specialty stores are typically owned by a former college runner, professional runner. That you know works closely with the community and becomes a destination. You know the the running stores. You know it's not like they were waiting for us. And what we did is um, we we sent these influential store owners um, a, a pair of test shoes. Uh-huh. And then I would call them a week or two later and say, "Hey, did you have a run? How did you like them?" And they were like, "Oh no, all oh, these weird looking shoes. No, I, I I never put them on. And please don't call me again." So we realized that that wasn't working. So um, we said, well, how can we get them to try the shoes? And basically, we had to force them. And so I would call them and say, hey, I'm, I'm going to be in Hamburg. Or I'm going to be in Boston next week. Uh, do you have time to go for a run? And all these, you know, they're all former runners. Um, and they still run probably most days. And running can be lonely. So they said, hey, yeah, sure. I mean, you know, why not? And, uh, you know, I actually had no no plans already to be in Boston or Hamburg, but I booked a, a flight ticket, <laughs> flew there, um, and brought a test shoe. And, you know, these they're all nice guys, and, and a lot of them are now close friends. So yeah. they couldn't turn me down when I said, hey, well, you know, do you mind uh, slipping these on for the run? And typically after a 40-minute or hour workout, they would be like, hey, this was a good pace, and uh, my legs you know, feel actually pretty fresh. Tell me about the technology. That's how the conversation started. There's a moment I've read about that's interesting to me where where you start getting into Foot Locker, but then if I understand it correctly, you, you sort of sell into too many Foot Lockers. You kind of over overexpand a little bit in, in terms of where your shoes are available. Tell me about that. So at the time, Foot Locker um, started a run specialty format called Run by Foot Locker. And basically, we um, we worked with those three stores um, that they had, and then uh, they were selling through like crazy. And then they asked us to put on into twenty foot locker stores. And that was a bit a bit of a risk when we we it was yeah basically it was off strategy at the time. And so we said, well, okay, we can do 20, 20 doors. 
and we we ended up being in Times Squares, and 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 we had tremendous success. So we have a, a window display in, in Times Squares, and people were emailing me, "Hey, you guys made it! You're in New York," and so on. And then they expanded to eighty stores, <laughs> and that was too much. You know, basically the same twenty stores that sold on. Well, they continued to sell well, and everybody else, uh, you know, in the Midwest, for example, nobody was waiting for this weird Swiss brand, and we we, we walked away with a. Uh, um, yeah, with a, with definitely a, a learning that, that we're still holding on to this day. And what was the lesson there? Yeah, you basically, if you want to be premium, um, you always want to keep uh, supply below demand. You know, you always want to have scarcity because nothing builds desire like scarcity. Huh. Um, so you basically want to sell like slightly fewer shoes than you could? Is that, that sort of the <laughs> exactly. optimal to you? You know that's you know that's that's the story of, of of our lives really ever since we started on basically you know we've been growing about eighty five percent on average every year, but we're always you know we could we could have grown much faster and so we're we're always kind of um, you know threading the needle and we always have to say no and we have to you know like even sometimes I I'm too late you know I I want to get a, a really cool shoe that we we launched and they're sold out. <laughs> Well, is part of that, I mean, there is a fashion element to shoes, obviously, right? People don't call it fashion. Mm -hmm. They call it uh, streetwear, right? Or, you know, people talk about being sneakerheads, but it's fashion, right? And and that seems like a classic fashion, especially high-end fashion strategy. Yeah, absolutely. You know, we have a love-hate relationship with fashion, um, when we started on, we had. I mean, you uh, are fashion, right? Like well, you clearly thank you. are fashion. Yeah, <laughs> thank you. Let's talk about it specifically, right? So you get into like Bloomingdale's and Nordstrom, which is yeah. like the opposite of the little running shop, right? It's people <laughs> buying fancy clothes, and and it happens to be the case that over the sort of two thousand teens, right, as you're growing as a company, athleisure is this growing segment where like rich people are buying expensive workout clothes and not working out in them, right? Like Lululemon being the classic version there. But it seems like that's part of what you're riding, right? Absolutely. Look, in the beginning, it bothered the heck out of us when somebody wore our high-tech performance products um, with jeans in the street. At some point, we almost said, well, you know, if you really want to wear ons um, in the street, uh, well, we can do better. And we started uh, designing for that market specifically. One place where the streetwear piece comes in is in your work with Roger Federer, weirdly. So maybe we could talk about that now. Like, tell me, tell me how you came to work with Federer. <laughs> Certainly the most famous Swiss athlete now Maybe the most famous Swiss person now. I can't think of another more famous. Oh, Swiss he's definitely person the most now. famous Swiss person. Um, look, Switzerland is a small place, so he's basically my neighbor. Joking aside, um, um, you know, when 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 Roger was done with his previous partner, um, he he had you know basically had to wear something, and in Switzerland at the time, his previous partner meaning meaning. It was Nike, yeah. yeah. So he had, I think he, he, he worked there. He played in Nikes for over 20 years of his career. And all of a sudden, pictures started popping up in, you know, with Roger wearing uh, ons. And so we reached out and said, look, Roger, we're happy to send you the latest, greatest, so you don't have to go and buy them in the store. And at some point, we get a phone call from his agent. And it said, he said, well, uh, Roger's just uh, landing, coming back from a tournament. He has 20 minutes to meet you guys. Uh, are you around? <laughs> and we said, sure. 
and uh, and he came and we ended up talking for more than two hours um and <laughs> yeah, at one point we said hey, roger we really have to go back to work um <laughs> But what what came true? of that was is that true or is that, that is true? Is that, okay, that is well. You know, we did it very politely, but we can. You know, yeah. Um, shortly after, he reached back out and said, "Hey, let's go for dinner," and and from that, um, a conversation started. Um, could we get involved? And you know, of course, the only thing that that he had experience with, and frankly, most of the the athletes, was just an endorsement deal, a yeah, sponsorship. Which for which for Federer would be what tens of millions of dollars, right? Presumably more money than your little running company had, right? There's no way you're going to be able to sign him to an endorsement deal. You can't afford. Yeah, it, it could you know, um, it could be a, a couple tens of millions of dollars per year um, yeah. to, for 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 a regular sponsorship deal with him. So, um, so basically, you know, we came to the conclusion that we can't afford to pay him. Um, he's the much bigger brand than On was at the time. But he could pay us, and so he became an investor. And we literally made the, the shortest ever agreement, um, I think, ever done in the history of sports, where it's basically said, look, um, there are no obligations on either side. He's an investor. Um, and you know, if, if we have fun together, we're going to make this thing big. And out of that came a, a beautiful uh, line of uh, lifestyle products, as you're aware, and then as, as his comeback came near, um, against the advice of his medical and training trainer staff, um, he said, look, I want to come back. I have a new knee. I want to come back in a new shoe. And so in like record time, literally like four or five months, we, we developed the professional tennis shoe that uh, he then wore in his comeback. And, and he put his whole experience into that into that shoe. So that shoe, if I understand correctly, like if I go back to your running shoes, those you started with the most hardcore runners, people at running stores. But the Federer shoe, you did not go for like the hardcore tennis uh, community, right? You you debuted it at a, at a streetwear store in Manhattan. Is that right? Yeah. So look, the, you know, the white tennis sneaker is, is one of the beloved um, lifestyle silhouettes. Like, you know, in, in, uh, in, in many languages, actually sneakers called tennis. Um, yeah, tennis shoes, right? When I was a kid, we called tennis, them tennis shoes. shoes. Exactly, tennis. right? Yeah. And I mean, in a way, this sort of speaks to that arc of going from just being like a hardcore runner's only running shoe to being kind of a fashion shoe, right? I mean, Federer is wearing it, so obviously it's a legit tennis shoe. But also yourself, people are lined up around the block in Manhattan and it costs $200 and then it sells for twice that on the secondary market. This is like a sneakerhead fashion shoe. Yeah, absolutely. Still to come, the next big problem for Casper and On, how to take back all the shoes they sell, tens of millions of pairs a year, and turn them into new shoes. You probably think it's too soon to join AARP, right? Well, let's take a minute to talk about it. Where do you see yourself in 15 years? More specifically, your career, your health, your social life. What are you doing now to help you get there? There are tons of ways for you to start preparing today for your future with AARP. That dream job you've dreamt about? Sign up for AARP reskilling courses to help make it a reality. How about that active lifestyle you've only spoken about from the couch? AARP has health tips and wellness tools to keep you moving for years to come. But none of these experiences are without making friends along the way. 
Connect with your community through AARP volunteer events. So it's safe to say it's never too soon to join AARP. They're here to help your money, health, and happiness live as long as you do. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Learn more at aarp.org slash wisefriend. The most innovative companies are going further with T-Mobile for Business. The PGA of America is helping lower scores and elevate fan experiences with AI coaching tools and 5G-connected cameras. AAA is getting more drivers back on the road fast with location telematics. And the Las Vegas Grand Prix is powering race day operations with 5G connectivity, giving fans an experience at the speed they deserve. This is Accelerating Innovation with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at tmobile.com slash now. And now a word from the show's sponsors at Betterment. Do you want your money to dream big? Do you want your money to be a total self-starter? Are you annoyed that your money doesn't work hard enough? Don't worry. Betterment is here to help. Betterment is the automated investing and savings app that makes your money hustle. The automated technology is built to help maximize returns, Meaning, when you invest with Betterment, your money can auto-adjust as you get closer to your goal, rebalance if your portfolio gets too far out of line, and your dividends are automatically reinvested. That can increase the potential for compound returns. In other words, your money is breaking a sweat while you can be breaking bread. You'll never picture your money the same way again. Betterment, the automated investing and savings app that makes your money hustle. Visit Betterment.com to get started. Investing involves risk. Performance is not guaranteed. That's the end of the ads. Now we're going back to the show. Let's talk about your subscription shoe. You launched a, a subscription shoe last year. Tell me about that business. Yeah, so um, 99% of the sporting goods products are made from crude oil. Rather than, and is that know, true of shoes the, also? Are shoes basically... Shoe, shoes, apparel... Anything, uh-huh. you know, and, and, it's, and it's basically plastic of one kind or another, right? Yeah. Shoe, running shoes are plastic. All the foam, all the this, all the that, it's it's plastic. Running shoes are plastic and plastic is, is crude oil. Yeah. It yeah. sucks. And so, you know, and, and what's worse is, you know, you, you go through a pair of running shoes maybe four times a year, two times a year, depends how often. Yeah, it depends on how much you run, right? I feel like, what is the median runner? About about twice a year, right? About twice a year, yes, exactly. Yeah. So, you know, then, then people throw them away. And in the U.S., they will end, end up in a landfill in Switzerland. They're, uh, they're burnt. But it's not, a, it's not a sustainable business model by any means. So we said, hey, let's change that. And um, we looked into uh, two things. First of all, we want to move away from petrol-based uh, raw materials. Um, and so this particular uh, model that you're speaking about, which we call Cyclone, is made from beans, castor beans that uh, you know were cultivated back in the seventies when the uh, energy oil crisis was was active, and you could actually make petrol from it. And the other thing was, um, how can we make our product circular? So, how can we design a product, whether it's apparel or footwear, that you know you can use, but then you can easily take back, take apart, and make a new product out. And so with Cyclone, uh, we did that, but then we realized, and we were not the first company, there are maybe two or three others that have designed circular running shoes, but we're the first ones to take circularity serious in terms of that we said, hey, 
we want these products back. And and then you know we came up with this idea: let's not sell this product. Let's only make it available by subscription. So running as a service, similar how you're watching movies now on Netflix, and you, you no longer own the movie. Well, this has been a tremendous uh, hit with consumers, and we're just at the at the end of the first six month cycle. And and guess what? We have received back over eighty percent of the shoes. That in terms of recycling rates is is unprecedented, and that's before we even you know go out and threaten them with penalties and <laughs> charge their credit card. Just just people are well, certainly the people who sign up first are going to be the most likely to be good about it, right? They're the people who are most excited by the model. So so that's definitely what we hoped for, yeah. Right. Uh, how much does it cost, and what do you get if you if I sign up for shoes as a service? So you pay a thirty dollar a month uh, subscription fee. Okay. And you get uh, two, maybe three pairs of running shoes a year, depending on how often you run. But the default is basically so thirty bucks a month is like three hundred and sixty bucks a year. Yeah, so two times one hundred eighty bucks, like a, you know, high end running shoe. Um, yes. Plus, you do yes. you do good for for the planet. How often am I allowed to get new shoes if I'm paying three hundred sixty bucks? Basically, as often as you as you'd like. You okay. know, if you're if you're doing, you know, the, the shoes will last you about five five hundred miles. That's typical standard running shoe, right? Standard um, running shoe, yeah. I noticed that this subscription shoe is all white, bright white, which I thought might be sort of clever. Well, if it's marketing at some level, it's like, oh, if your shoe gets dirty and you want really white shoes, which is like a thing now, right? Good news. Just ask us, and we'll send you a new bright white pair. <laughs> Well, this in this particular case, you know that that's purely for recycling reasons, you know, because if Aha, you mix okay. colors okay. and you have red, green, and blue pairs, you know, the yeah, next yeah. one will be brown. Yeah, that's yeah. not that's not a very popular color. So, you know, by keeping them white, not only do we save a ton of water because we don't have to dye the fabrics, but it's also much easier to recycle. But you know, cyclone is interesting because it's our our laboratory for experimentation and we learned um not only to make a shoe out of fewer fewer uh, pieces you know your average running shoe maybe is made out of a hundred different pieces cyclone is made out of about five huh i know that not all recycling is is actually more efficient than making things from raw materials it kind of depends on what's being recycled and how in this instance is it more efficient Oh, is absolutely. it better? Is I mean, it a smaller yeah. carbon footprint? Yeah, when you look at you know you look at carbon or waste or water, um, we'll save anywhere you know over the the lifespan of a cyclone. So you know this is about eight cycles that you know the material stays in the loop. Um, we will save about eighty eighty percent of the waste, about fifty uh, percent of the carbon footprint, um, uh, about seventy percent of water uh, used. So it's 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 very very substantial. So we were talking about the subscription business, and clearly you just started it, and it's sort of in the experimental phase. How much of your business do you think it's going to be in whatever time frame you want? Five years? The truth of the matter is we don't know. Um, this no. is an experiment, and we're learning. Um, I frankly don't think that subscription is going to be a, a huge thing in sports um, because huh. consumers want choice, and uh, we've looked at rolling all these choices into a subscription model, and it just makes things very, very messy and complicated. Um, 
but for for right now um for what it's worth i think to actually uh, you know, have very high return rates um in terms of you know recycling rates um it's a good tool and maybe it has its place um we only started this thing about 6 or 7 months ago so we're still learning if we get to 10% of our business i think it's going to be a big number i'm Guess a little disappointed in some at some level that uh, that it's not going to be bigger that you don't think it's going to be bigger. I mean, I mean, a it would make a tidy end to the interview, so that's of course important to me. But but also like you know, I like the efficiency piece. I will say I also I have been buying basically the same pair of Nikes every six months for ten years or something, and you know I always just buy last year's model because it's cheaper, um, but. You know, if they had a subscription model that was what I pay now or a little less, I would do it just because it's essentially what I'm doing already. I'd, I don't know what to do with my old shoes. Why do you think it's not going to be bigger? Why do you think it's only going to be, you know, 10% if it's really successful? Well, let me let me rephrase that. You know, the this is no, the... I don't want you to rephrase it. I, <laughs> no, I don't, don't, don't revise your estimate based on my sentiment. Just tell me why you think what you think. Look. We're, as I said earlier, this is an experiment at scale and we're, we're, we're learning. Um, and if it turns out that people really love the subscription model, I mean, that would be a, a really positive outcome. Um, and we're going to have to figure out the whole circularity piece because we have um, publicly committed to bringing every on product back by the end of the decade. If it's not going to be subscription, like what's it going to be? What are your other options? It's probably going to be a combination of things. So right now, for in the subscription um, program, we're using uh, mail, um, basically FedEx or UPS, to bring it back. Fast forward uh, three or four years, you'll be able to um, bring back your running shoes and in, in, in basically where you, where you bought them, similar like you'd, you'd do it with other products. Um, because you know th- this business model that our industry works on taking crude oil out of the earth and then throwing it away is just not sustainable better you know neither for the planet nor economically i mean i feel like the economics of it clearly work now and if you really wanted it to change what you would want is to impose a price on throwing it away right make it more expensive to throw it away make it cheaper to return it to the company or make that price embedded uh, in the price of the shoe when you buy it at retail, right? Like that's what we've done with cans, right? There's a deposit that sort of embeds that price in the retail price and makes it worth uh, collecting and returning, right? Do you see any sort of top-down price changes like that? Is that something yeah, that you might do? Seems, seems more EU-ish than American-ish. It just, j- j- just wait. <laughs> um, look, plastics is the new smoking. Um, you know the you know, and you're in the plastics business. This is absolutely like RJR saying that. Hey, yeah. it's well, I wish they they had they had said that back in the day. You know, yes. joking aside, um, you know, similar to how uh, oil um, fuel is 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 taxed, um, there will be a tax on on plastic, and there will be a uh, it will be mandatory eventually to to recycle plastics like it is with other things that you mentioned. Um, whether that is five years out or ten years out or fifteen years out, it's definitely the right thing to do. Once that comes in, in into play, it will take, definitely make economic sense to be a first mover. Um, and you know, in a, in an on product today, there may be four or five dollars worth of um, of, of plastics uh, that we can recuperate in this way. 
We'll be back in a minute with a Swiss and running shoe themed lightning round. You probably think it's too soon to join AARP, right? Well, let's take a minute to talk about it. Where do you see yourself in 15 years? More specifically, your career, your health, your social life. What are you doing now to help you get there? There are tons of ways for you to start preparing today for your future with AARP. That dream job you've dreamt about? Sign up for AARP reskilling courses to help make it a reality. How about that active lifestyle you've only spoken about from the couch? AARP has health tips and wellness tools to keep you moving for years to come. But none of these experiences are without making friends along the way. Connect with your community through AARP volunteer events. So it's safe to say it's never too soon to join AARP. They're here to help your money, health, and happiness live as long as you do. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Learn more at aarp.org wisefriend. The most innovative companies are going further with T-Mobile for Business. The PGA of America is helping lower scores and elevate fan experiences with AI coaching tools and 5G-connected cameras. AAA is getting more drivers back on the road fast with location telematics. And the Las Vegas Grand Prix is powering race day operations with 5G connectivity, giving fans an experience at the speed they deserve. This is accelerating innovation with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at tmobile.com slash now. If you're listening to this podcast right now and you're a small business owner, listen up. Upswell Marketing would like to remind you that when customers choose your small business, they're actually choosing you. So focus on super serving your existing customers and let Upswell handle the pipeline generation of new leads and customers. They do everything from hyper-targeting best fit prospects through campaign optimization. Upswell Marketing's unique approach includes direct mail, search engine marketing, and social media ads, and has fueled more than 10,000 small business success stories. Upswell specializes in developing customized direct response campaigns and is now offering a no-obligation free assessment of your current marketing strategies. Not to mention, new customers also receive 15% off their first order when they mention that they heard about Upswell on this podcast. For more information, visit upswellmarketing.com. That's upswellmarketing.com. Now let's get back to what's your problem. I want to finish with a lightning round. Bunch of right. quick questions. What's the first pair of shoes you had that you remember? Um, Adidas is with a really nice Velcro. Oh, the Velcro. It's, it makes so much sense, Velcro. Why do you think Velcro didn't like Oh, especially catch when you're on? a five-year-old. Yeah. Is it, is it actually worse? Like you, from your sort of shoe science knowledge, is Velcro a worse closure than laces? Laces are a remarkably persistent technology. Well, the laces allow you to really finely adjust, um, you know, how, how, how tight the shoe is in different parts of the, of, of the upper. But Velcro is a, is a very nice technology. Um, what situation is too formal to wear sneakers? None. Meeting the Pope. No, absolutely. I, 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 I did them our IPO in, in sneakers and, uh, and a pair of shorts. So well, of course you did the IPO if, in sneakers. That's marketing. Okay. Getting married, getting married, sneakers to get married. Uh, absolutely. I actually got married barefoot. Uh, well, that that's a hippie classic. I respect that. Um, okay. Let's do some quick Switzerland comparisons. Um, Gruyere or Emmental? Gruyere. 
Iger or Matterhorn? I must say the Matterhorn is very spectacular. Stad or Sam Moritz? Sam Moritz, that's where I live. So you worked at, at, at the consultancy McKinsey before you started on. I'm curious if you think McKinsey is overrated or underrated. I think it's overrated. Um, I feel probably management consultants are, are overused and, and companies uh, should do things uh, more with their own staff. We're definitely trying that. Is there something you learned as a consultant that you have found useful running a company? Oh, many things. At McKinsey, when, you, when you're on a new assignment, um, you always talk to people that have done something in that space before. So you're, you're not afraid to show that you have no clue about, uh-huh. even though, though you're getting paid a lot of money to consult on a company. And that's something that we have applied it on heavily. You know, like we're able to, as a, as a startup entrepreneur, you have access to a lot of people that are just helping you because they feel for you because they've been in the same situation. What's your second favorite brand of running shoes? Well, I'll have to pass on that one. <laughs> <laughs> Casper Capetti is the co-founder of On. Today's show was produced by Edith Russolo. It was edited by Sarah Nix and Robert Smith and engineered by Amanda K. Wong. I'm Jacob Goldstein. You can find me on Twitter at Jacob Goldstein, or you can email us at problem at pushkin.fm. We'll be back next week with another episode of What's Your Problem? Upswell Marketing would like to remind you that when customers choose your small business, they're really choosing you. So focus on super serving your existing customers and let Upswell handle the pipeline generation of new leads and customers. Upswell specializes in developing customized direct response campaigns and is now offering a no obligation free assessment of your current marketing strategies. Not to mention new customers also receive 15% off their first order when they mention that they heard about Upswell on this podcast. For more information, visit upswellmarketing.com. That's upswellmarketing.com. How do you create present and future value? As a leading provider of specialized finance operations and technology advisory services for Fortune 500 companies, emerging growth market leaders, and private equity sponsors, cross-country consulting solves today's most pressing challenges and creates present and future enterprise value. With tailored, integrated solutions for accounting, risk, technology-enabled transformation, and transaction solutions, CrossCountry works as a strategic partner and collaborative part of your team. The future-ready business, insight and within reach. Go to crosscountry-consulting.com to learn more. If you're looking for a new podcast but don't know where to start, here's one you can add to your list. The Jordan Harbinger Show. The Jordan Harbinger Show is aimed at making you a better informed critical thinker so you can get a sense of how the world actually works and come to your own conclusions about what's happening. Jordan talks to everyone from neuroscientists to CEOs to astronauts, authors, and performers. You might enjoy Jordan's interview with historian Yuval Noah Harari, the author of Sapiens, A Brief History of Humankind, or his episode with Fool Me Once author Kelly Richmond Pope, on how fraud became a trillion-dollar industry. Whether Jordan's conducting an interview or giving advice to a listener, you'll find something useful that you can apply to your own life in every episode of The Jordan Harbinger Show. That could mean learning how to ask for advice the right way, or it could just be discovering a slight mindset tweak that changes how you see the world. Search for The Jordan Harbinger Show, that's H-A-R-B-I-N-G-E-R, on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, or 
wherever you listen to podcasts.